Welcome to Grace Community Church On Demand, the weekly podcast from the Sunday services at Grace Community Church in Rupert, Idaho. Here at Grace, we believe in building the kingdom of God one person at a time. We're passionate about loving God, loving people, and following Jesus. Let's get into this week's message with Pastor Travis Turner. good to be in the house of the Lord with you all today. I hope you came with great, tremendous expectation because God is going to speak to you this morning. Amen. Now, listen, we've been in a series on greatness and I realize that sometimes a series on greater things, man, it can be difficult. It can be a difficult pill to swallow. Why? Because if you were going to be honest, looking around, you wouldn't say that there's a lot of great things happening in your life right now. And what I want to do is I just want to encourage you to keep your eyes elevated and lifted on Jesus. Amen. Don't put your eyes down on your current circumstance or situation because God is God and he is able to get you through this. And sometimes it's much better on the other end. Amen. It's always much better on the other end as you trust him even unto death. Because how many of you know that promise of eternity is for those that are in him? Amen? All right. So be encouraged this morning. Um, So when we're talking about greatness, what I want you to do is I want you to realize that it's my heart that we will level up in this area, that we will just get stronger in the area of greatness. And you're like, listen, I didn't really come to be challenged. I'm not really looking to be challenged this morning. What I need is I need a soft word. I need a word that's just kind of going to encourage me and make me feel better. And uh, you can't leave now, but today is not one of those messages. Amen. How many of you know that God has really put on my heart to grow people? Like I really want people to be challenged in their faith and in order Come on, for people to grow, they need to be stretched. They need to be stretched a little bit. It's, it's much like going to the gymnasium. Everybody wants to look good, but nobody wants to, nobody wants to go to leg day, right? <laughs> you love leg day. I was going to say, let me see them legs, but that would not be appropriate. And so, so anyway, keep your legs to yourself. And, um, and so we want to be challenged today because when we're challenged we're stretched that's when we grow go ahead and turn your bible please to the book of judges chapter 20 and verse 18 judges verse 20 and verse 18 it says this the children of israel they went up to the house of god to inquire of god they said which is which of us shall go first into battle against our brothers The Lord answered, Judah is to go first. And so what I want you to realize here is is that while Israel was used to fighting all kinds of different armies, the Philistines, the Amalekites, they were used to fighting battles against the known enemy. Now they're in a civil war. They're fighting amongst themselves. And it's 11 to 1. It's the 11 older tribes against the one youngest tribe. Who's the youngest tribe? Benjamin, that's exactly right. So 11 against one, and that's where we're at right here, right now. And the Lord says, listen, in response to who do we send into this battle first? He said, listen, send the musicians. 
Send the worshipers. Send the ones that know how to change, come on, the atmosphere in and through their praise and their worship. Send those that know how to invite the presence of God. Send Judah. This is why we have order to our church services today. This is why we... This is why we don't just, you show up and we just preach a message and then maybe sing a a few songs later on down the road. I never quite understood that because it's out of order. How many of you know that praise and worship, it prepares the soil, it turns up the soil, it tills the soil, it makes the soil ready for the implanted word of God, come on, to be planted on good soil so that it'll grow up and be fruitful, amen? And so... When you come into this place, worship always comes before the word. And when you come into this place, worship will always. There's never going to be a point in time. Churches are getting so weird these days, man. They're just doing things funky and out of order. But they'll, they'll, they'll preach a message and then they'll end with worship. And I'm just saying that's not going to happen here because we follow an order that is important, right? In fact, I'll take it another step further and I'll say, listen, I wish that praise would happen before worship. And the only way that this is going to happen is when the people that are called to be people of praise show up before anybody else shows up and they just start marching around the sanctuary declaring the goodness of God. God, we just worship you, God. We praise you. We elevate you. We lift you up, God. You are good. There is none like you. So before anybody ever takes their place in their position behind a keyboard, before anybody ever steps into the fishbowl, now that remind you kind of like a fishbowl? Right? The atmosphere has been, has been prepped with people that are declaring the goodness of God. And this happens before the worship team has even taken the stage. The Bible says we enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Like, like if you are not prepped and ready, come on, to give God some worship and some praise, then you're doing something wrong. If your reliance upon getting close to God has anything to do with what these folks here do, come on, for us, then your approach is wrong. Before you even get here, you should be having conversations about the goodness of God. You should be, you should be putting order into your thoughts that, hey, this is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad. I was glad somebody, come on, when they say, let us go into the house of the Lord. Anybody? All right. So the children of Israel, God said, listen, send Judah first. The children of Israel arose in the morning and they encamped against Gibeah. And the men of Israel, they went out to battle against their little snotty-nosed brother, Benjamin. Verse 21, but the Benjamites, the Benjamins, the warriors, their warriors who were defending the town, they came out and they killed 22,000 of the Israelites on the battlefield that day. So this spoiled little bratty-nosed brother, come on, they were defending the town and they went out even after God said, listen, send the worshipers out first. 22,000 were destroyed in that day. So my question is this, what, do you, what happens? What are you, how are you going to respond when God says and tells you clearly what it is that you're supposed to do and you go out and you do exactly what he told you to do and it doesn't end up good for you? 
In fact, it not only does it end up in a way completely different than what you were expecting, but you lose 22,000 men when you follow God's instruction to the T. These are messages that people really don't like to talk about in the church today because our expectation is, man, if I can just do what it is that God asked me to do, then everything's just gonna be okay. What do you do when you do everything that you're asked to do and you lose anyway? How are you gonna handle it? What's your response in that situation? Somebody say, we're getting stronger. Verse 22 says this, but the Israelites, they encouraged one another. So they just lost the biggest battle that they've lost in a long time. After God told them to go out and fight, they encouraged each other. Somebody say encouraged each other. This is why prophetically I'm telling you, you better have some people in your court. You better have some people in your camp. You better not be a lone ranger, an isolated person, somebody that doesn't share life with other people in the days and the time that we live in, period. So they get up, they encourage one another, they t- and, and the Bible says they took their position again. Somebody say again. They took their position again at the same place that they had fought the previous day. For they had gone up to Bethel. After losing, they had gone up to Bethel, and they wept in the presence of the Lord. God, we thought we had this thing figured out. They wept there. They stayed there until evening. They had asked the Lord again. Somebody say number two. They had asked the Lord the second time, should we fight against our relatives from Benjamin again? And the Lord had said, go out and fight against them. See, let me tell you something just real quick. This life that we live, if you haven't figured it out, it's filled with highs and lows. It's filled with peaks and valleys. In fact, I'll tell you that if you're in a good time right now, not to be a a Debbie Downer or anything like that, but, but times are fixing to change for you. And I will tell you this, that if you're in a low spot right now, like you're going through some real hardships, if you will but, but just keep your eyes on Jesus, let me encourage you, times are gonna change for you. Come on, there's a secret to be known that there's highs and lows in this thing called, called life and nobody sees this, at least in my opinion, more than a pastor sees this. See, I've had the opportunity to celebrate with some of you in some of your greatest victories. In fact, just this last Friday, I got a call from a friend, Mike Kerbs, that gave his heart to the Lord. I understand when Mike was younger, he was a wild man, but he gave his heart to the Lord. And, and Mike, for years, you know, we'd, we'd golf and, and whatnot together. And, and then he got diagnosed with cancer. And years ago, he called me up and he said, Travis, I've got cancer. And I began to pray, come on, faith-filled prayers with Mike that were just, I I was shocking myself of what I was asking, you know what I mean, God to do. And yesterday, or I'm sorry, Friday, he called me up and he said, Pastor, and, and you know when somebody calls you and they can't really even formulate words because they're emotionally just having a moment, and this was a good moment, he said, Pastor Travis, I just want you to know I just got finished with my oncologist, and, and I am cancer-free right now. I'm cancer-free. You know, people will tell you, you're never really cancer-free. You know, cancer is there, but I don't believe that. I believe that God is able to, to, to totally get rid of, of cancer, right? Amen? And so, so anyway, what a great time of celebration. I was just like, man, Mike, I'm so thankful. Thank you for calling me. 
you know, from Utah, he goes down there when the weather starts turning. What's that place where everything's red? St. George. George, yeah, yeah, suffering in St. George for Jesus. Down there, play a round of golf, you know what I mean for me. But, but I've also been, come on, at the bedside with some of you, even when you've lost your children. They transition from this life to the next life and other things. And so I've gotten a chance to weep and to cry and to, and to, and to just mourn right along with you. And I want to encourage you guys to, to pray for Jeanette Meyer right now. She's, um, she's at home and she's, she's comfortable, but she absolutely needs our prayers. Amen. So I encourage you to do that. But life is a roller coaster, highs and lows, peaks and valleys. One man said it like this. He said, the only way that you're going to die is if you jump off. Or that 14-year-old kid didn't buckle your seatbelt like he should have. You know what I'm saying? Why do they put such young people in charge of your life on those, on those dangerous rides? I'm like, do you even have a driver's license? Have you ever even put a seatbelt on yourself? I want to give you some advice here today. How many of you have looked at your investments, your 401k, your portfolio recently? If you haven't, don't look at it. That's the advice, that's the advice, for, that's the advice for today. But, but I want you to realize that, that, that things aren't looking really, really good now as far as the market goes. But I want you to know that this isn't the first time that this has happened. Somebody say, it's not the first time. Back in 2008, many of you are familiar with this, the market overnight dropped 57%. Why? Because they were giving mortgages out like they were made on paper. They weren't worth anything. You had people that were building and buying homes that couldn't afford to make a car payment. And how many of you know that you just can't do that for very long before the bubble bursts? I'm so grateful that we had tons of equity in our home when, I was in, when we were in Boise. My wife and I, we had done things very, very well. We had tons of equity. But when that market crashed, how many of you know all that equity went away? And we were called at the same time to move to Rupert, Idaho. And so we didn't, we didn't, we didn't uh, have to foreclose or anything crazy like that. But we had a bunch of money in the bank one night and the next night, come on, nothing. How many of you know that God is faithful? 2000, the year 2000, how many of you are old enough to remember, come on, the dot, the dot com bubble? 1999, everybody is worried about, you know what I mean, the clock turning and, and oh, it's going to be the end of the world. You know what I did in preparation for the year 2000? I filled my bathtub up with water. I thought, man, if the water goes out, we might need some water. That was the only thing that I, there wasn't an ounce of fear. I wasn't worried about the end of the world. Man, I'm just telling you, I filled my body. I said, we might need some water for a couple of days. I don't know if I'm going to want to drink it, but if I have to, it's there. Right? So overnight, there was a 77% drop in the market. Took 20 mo 21 months for it to recover. Come on, in 2008, it took 18 months for it to recover and come back. 1973, I was two years old in 1973, but there was an oil burst, a bubble that had burst in the, in the oil industry, and overnight, come on, 89% drop in the market. How long did it take? 18 months to recover. And then we go all the way back to 1929, come on, the Great Depression. We really don't want to talk about that very much because that took 25 years 
for that market to recover. But the point is, is this, that the market recovered. And even if you're in a low spot right now, come on, spiritually, come on, the market is going to recover. The point is, is it comes back. Why does it come back? Because we continue to live, we continue to buy, we continue to sell, we continue to eat, we continue to consume, and so it's a period of time before it comes back. See, some people don't believe in the stock market because they don't really trust the stock market, don't even know how the stock market works, right? And so what they do is they'll put their money up underneath their mattress or they'll bury it on their property or something crazy like that. I remember before I answered the call to ministry, come on, all my life, I was called to be a pastor. But before I answered the call to ministry on my life, I tried so many different things. Man, I sold about everything that there was to sell and I managed a lot of different people along the way. But I got involved in I got involved in the financial planning aspect of, of preparing for end of life and retirement and things like that. I had got my six and 63. I was working on my series seven and I absolutely hated it because I hate finances. So here I was, I was chasing a career because of the money that was, that was, could be potentially made. And I, and I made a, a decent wage, but I absolutely hated it. Can I just tell you if you're young enough, and you hate what you're doing, get out of what you're doing and find something, come on, that you're called to do. And if you're old and, you, and you've been doing what you hate doing for so long, I'm sorry, you're gonna have to suck it up and just finish out strong. That was a poor decision you made years ago. You should have got off. Somebody should have said something a long time ago, but life is too short to spend a bunch of time doing something that you hate doing, period. Find something that you're called to do. And so, but anyway, I remember going into it and I always wore a suit and tie and, and, and I was sharp because I'm like, man, if people are going to trust me with their money, I got to act like I know what I'm doing. And so, so I, I went into this one house and I remember, I remember this was a lead and I remember thinking, man, oh man, I mean, this house was nasty, absolutely the nastiest house I've ever been into an older couple. I was afraid, I'm not even kidding you, I was afraid to sit down on the sofa where we visited and we did business, but I couldn't let people know how I was thinking, so I just sat down and I'm thinking, man, I'm gonna have to take this suit to a dry cleaner. That's how bad it was. So I'm sitting down and I'm visiting, I'm sharing with them what it is that I can do for them, how I think I can, I can help them, and then all of a sudden the man gets up and he walks into the back room and he comes out just a few moments later and he's carrying a shoebox and he puts it on the table. He goes back into the back room, comes out with a couple more shoeboxes and he's got three shoeboxes on, um, on the coffee table there. And he opens them up and these shoeboxes are filled with bills and they're not filled with $1 bills, they're filled with big bills. So there's another moral to the story. People that have a lot of money, typically you're not gonna know they have a lot of money. People that don't have any money, they're gonna try to put off like they have more money than what they, what they have. That's the truth. And it's just kind of the way that we are. We're trying to press somebody. So anyway, he says, listen, why don't you take these three boxes and we'll go and we put it into annuity and some different things. And, um, and, and I'm just saying this, that their approach on life is we hadn't really 
trusted the stock market. We trusted the mattress more than the stock market. But the problem is, is the money that's placed underneath the mattress, how many of you know that that's not helping you, it's hurting you because your money underneath the mattress was, is worth less today than it was even yesterday because of this word that we're hearing so much about called inflation. And so you're not even protecting yourself in, uh, against inflation, but you think you're protecting yourself because it's safe and secure and you can control it. But let me tell you this, as is in the spiritual, so is in the natural. As is in the natural, so is in the spiritual. And so the, the, just like the stock market, people don't understand that it fluctuates. The same thing is true in our faith. How many of you know that your faith can drop. Your faith can be strong today and a little bit weaker tomorrow, or it can be huge today and then something devastating happens tomorrow and the faith just drops. When faith drops, come on, these are things that bring us into this place that I didn't sign up for this. Man, I, I received Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior and I thought everything was just going to be fine from here on out. And so when faith drops, what happens is we retract and we shrink back and we go back into thinking that we can take care of ourselves better than God can take care of us. And how many of you know that that's just not the case? You cannot take care of yourself better than God can. So there are levels of faith. In fact, I've titled today's message levels of faith and I want you to know this, that to see God, faith is required. In the book of Hebrews, chapter 11 and verse 6, it says that without faith, you know, it's a high probability that you're not going to see God. No, it doesn't say that. It says without faith, it's impossible to please God. See, God's desire is, is that you and I continuously live in this space, in this place called faith. Because without faith, it's impossible to please him. And I don't know about you, but I need God's faith and favor. I need God's miracles in every aspect of my life. And so when I read Hebrews chapter eleven six 6 that says without faith, it's impossible to please God. The way that my mind works is, is just like this. It's like, okay, God, what areas in my life do not require any faith or I'm not, I'm not using any faith because, listen, quote, unquote, I can manage this area pretty well. And so I don't need faith. See, listen to this. If you don't have any money, if you're just dead broken, you've always got more month than you have money, then you typically are going to live in a space and a place of faith in your finances that other people aren't going to live in. One of the reasons why we see faith so strong in third world countries is simply and solely because they don't have the luxuries that you and I have. And so what we take for granted, they go to God for. We've got months of food in our pantry. They don't know how they're going to eat today. And so it requires them to press in just a little bit, a little bit more, a little bit further. So we know in the area of finances, if you don't have a lot of finances, you're going to God all the time for your finances. But I want to talk to you, and I want you to lean in here real quick. I want to talk to you who have plenty of finances. Like you're not overly wealthy, 
But you're the kind of person that if somebody writes you a check, you know what I mean? Like you might come across that check a month later and say, oh, there's that check. I forgot all about that. I should probably take this to the bank. And then three weeks later, you go deposit it in the bank. See, you're the kind of person that most of your, you know, you don't have a, a lot of bills and a lot of things like that. Either your house is paid for or it's close to being paid off. You're the kind of person that's got a lot of money in the bank, right? You're ready for retirement and things like that. Like, that's who I'm talking about. You're the person that has your tithe on automatic withdrawal, and you don't even notice when your tithe comes out. You're not even worried about being able to cover your tithe. See, that's who I want to talk to real quick. Those of you that have more money, you've been doing things right and well, you got money in the bank. My question is this, when was the last time that you activated faith in the area of your finances? Oh, I don't want to hear about that. Because faith causes me to stretch and grow and and I don't know if I want to do that. Like I'm comfortable with where it is that I'm at right now. What about those people that are single? Any single people in the house? Or how many of you remember when you were single and you're married now, right? So when you're single, you're like praying. You're like, God, just send me that man. God, send me that godly man. And the men are saying, God, you said that it is good when a man finds a woman. I need some goodness in my life. And you hate being single. Like you don't like, you don't want to be alone. And you're praying and you're praying. Then all of a sudden, God answers your prayers. And he gives you that godly man, that godly woman. And you begin to be fruitful and you're multiplying. You got babies now. And now like 10 years has passed. And, 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 and it's not as great as you thought it was going to be. Matter of fact, you're having troubles. Can I just, I'm going to write a book one day. I'm going to write several books actually. But let me give you a point to you that are married and considering divorce right now. And I know there's a lot of different reasons why people may get divorced. I'm not trying to put everybody into one little group. But in most cases, this is my opinion, my humble opinion as a pastor. In most cases, if you would continue doing what you were doing before you got married, treating that person the way that you treated them before you got married, if you were to continue doing that, you wouldn't get divorced. See, something happened along the ways. What it is is you got the prize. Come on, you got the answer. You got the favor from God. And then guess what? You just gave up. And other things started becoming more important than that one thing that was most important to you. That's good. I feel good. Thank you. So let me ask you a question. What miracle are you believing God for in your marriage today? For those of you that have been saved for a long time, who's walked with God for a long time? Long, long, long time. You just like walking with God. Let me ask you a question real quick. When was the last time that you increased faith in the area of faith? When was the last time that you found yourself doing something radical in the faith because of the goodness of God? See, one of the, 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 the trip ups that we have to watch out for is whenever we've walked with God too long, Raul, we start thinking, I've seen it all. Nothing, you know what I mean? Nothing really just catches me off guard. I just, man, you know, 
I can understand why those young people would just be so emotionally moved. And, but I'm just, you know what I mean? I just, I've, I've been doing this for a long time. You know what I'm saying? You know what Moses said? Come on, in his latter years, this is what he said. I want to know you like I've never known you before. And I will just tell you this. This might be a stretch. I could be wrong. And if I'm wrong, I'm not saying this about any person or, or it is kind of a people group. But I'm telling you, just in observation in our world, people that have walked with God for a long time, they don't approach God like this. They don't approach God like, God, I want to know you like I've never known you before. What it is, we've just been like, yeah, I've been kind of doing this for a long You know, I mean, like, really, what, what can I learn? You know what I'm saying? Like, I've been there. and You don't even know the places that I've been. You don't even know how God's, like, you know what I mean? Like, that's so elementary. And you know what I'm saying? Like, Gag me with a fork, man. That was like an old saying back in the 90s. Gag me with a spoon. I just dated myself. So where do you lack faith? Where is it that you lack faith? Where is your life on autopilot? Because number one, faith requires a step. See, faith is not a confession. Faith is action. Wait a second. What? 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 I don't understand. What about a confession of faith. What about the opportunities that we give people in church services that if you will believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord? Yeah, it begins there. But my goodness, let me tell you this. If that's where it ends, then all you felt was goosebumps and you're probably not saved because faith requires action. And guess what? Goosebumps never saved anybody. Everybody can be encouraged at a moment's time. You know what I'm saying? Like, oh, yeah, I kind of think I'm going to give that Jesus a chance. But I'm telling you, when you've had a real, come on, encounter with Jesus and you've asked him to forgive you of your sins and come into your life, come on, his spirit is, is going to disrupt some things. Like things that were okay in the past aren't going to be okay today. Can I get a good amen there? So Israel, here they are, they're at war with their brother and they're asking the question, is God with us? Why? Because this is not a normal enemy. They know God is with them when they're fighting the other enemies, but they're fighting amongst themselves. See, Benjamin had committed a terrible, terrible crime. You'll have to read that for yourself. But still they paused and they're like, God, are you with us? Are you sure you're going to go with us? Because this isn't a regular fight. God said, yes, send Judah. So they armored up, man. They put their armor on. They got their swords and they got their helmets. They donned up. They got ready. They went and they kissed their wives on the mouth and they hugged their children. And they said, listen, we're going out to battle but we're going to be right back. And guess what they did? They got into formation. Somebody say faith takes action. They acted on what it is that they were believing for. James chapter two and verse 17 says this faith by itself is not enough unless it produces action, unless it produces good deeds, it is dead and useless. I remember coming to Grace Church. We made the decision that we were coming to Grace Church to pastor this church. Let me tell you how this decision came about. I was asleep one night, got a vision from the Lord, actually a visitation from the Lord and seven angels 
And every single one of these angels, they would just open up a new screen and they would say, hey, listen, this is phase one. This is what God's going to do. This is phase two. This is what God's going to do. This is phase three, what God's going to do. And then they all seven at the same time in unison, they said, listen, all we need you to do, Travis, is sit back and relax and just watch the show. And we're going to plant you over there and good things are going to happen. That right there was the biggest lie I've ever told in church. None of that happened. You, I know, I just made it up as I was just kind of going. I was just kind of making it up, you know what I'm saying? And then I laid, on my, I laid on my side for 40 days and birds came and fed me and they said, just rest my son, just rest my son. See, none of that happened. What happened was, is we felt like God was calling us to come to Rupert. It was confirmed with my wife. There was confirmation. So God's not going to tell me something that he tells her differently. And our pastors thought that it was the best thing for us to do as well. And so we took a step and then guess what? After we had taken a step and moved here, we're waiting for more instruction. And guess what? Sometimes when you're waiting, you can hear crickets in your mind. Whatever a cricket sounds like. Like God doesn't do everything fast. I wish he did. I wish he would just give us the seven visitation of angels and, and, and line everything out. But he doesn't do that, right? It's a faith step. When was the last time that you took a faith step in your marriage, your finances, your friendships, in your ministry? When was the last time that you woke up first thing in the morning and you said, God, give me somebody that I can share my faith with today. Somebody that needs you. Somebody that's down. Somebody that's dying. Come on. Somebody that thinks that they don't need God. They despise God. When will you give me somebody today and then fill my mouth with the proper words to say. Second Corinthians 4.13, we preach because we have faith like the psalmist had. And he said, I believe God, so I spoke. Do you believe God for everything? If you do, you better be speaking. You better be sharing. Come on, the power, the goodness, the testimony that God has given you. Faith is declaring sometimes to other people what God is going to do before he does it. You know that? Sometimes declaring to people what God's going to do before he does it. God said to Abraham, listen, I'm going to make you the father of many nations. And if you'll study this out from the time he said it to the time that he completed it and gave him Isaac, it was 25 years later. 25 years, I'm going to make you the father of many But he said, listen, just so you know that I'm a man of my word or a God of my word, I'm going to change your name right now from Abram to Abraham, which means father of many nations. So imagine this, Abraham is now carrying a name that means father of many nations for 25 years and doesn't even have a child. Let me share with you what this looks like. He's wanting to take his, he's wanting to take his wife out on a date. He said, baby, I'm going to take you out to the finest restaurant that I know. He calls and he makes reservations and he gets it all set up and they show up. And the concierge behind the desk says, hey, listen, what's your name? Well, my name is Abraham, and this is Sarian. And, and, the, and the, wait, the, the guy waiting on them says, hey, listen, oh, wonderful, a celebration, a day out without the children, a night out without the children. He said, we don't have any children. Well, what do you mean you don't have any children? Your name actually means father of many nations. Right? It doesn't make sense. And so sometimes we're often called to trust God's promises even when there is no evidence of the promise. And if you think this is easy, 
You've just never been there before. It's not easy to trust God with the promise when there's no evidence of the promise. And number two, when we ask God in faith, we have to expect a response. It's crazy for us to pray these big faiths. When I asked that God would eradicate Mike Kerbs' body from cancer, when he's got cancer all over his body, this is not a simple prayer to pray. And there have been times where I've prayed prayers and it didn't turn out like this story had turned out. But I can tell you every single time that I've prayed for somebody, I fully and firmly believe that whatever it is that I'm asking, and I'm not just shooting in the dark, like I, first of all, before I ask, I try to get the heart of God or, or some, some insight, some spiritual insight from the Holy Ghost that's inside of me as to how I should pray. But I'm telling you, when I pray, I believe like, I might not be good at a lot of things, but when I pray for somebody, I believe that what I'm asking, God is able and will do. Period. And it is crazy to pray big prayers, but yet you are filled with doubt. I have wrestled through this so much. Pray a big prayer, doubt comes right in behind it. No. I'm going to believe. Pray the same prayer again at the same time that we're sitting there until I come to a place where I believe, come on, that, 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 that God's going to do what I'm asking him to do. So when you step out in faith and pray, man, you got to believe that God's going to do what you're asking him to do. It's biblical, right? So expect a response. Let me ask you this just one question. When God gives you a miracle... Who gets the credit for it? Right, please don't say you do. You get no credit. All you did was just, you were just like a, you were just, you were given a front row seat to the miracle, that's it. You know what I'm saying? And what a beautiful front row seat to have. But when you begin to proclaim and declare things, supernatural things happening, who gets attacked? You do. Like some people would say, this is a lose-lose situation. It's like, I've got to go out and proclaim and declare, and I know for a fact that I'm going to get an attack because of it, and God gets all the glory. Yes, that's exactly how it is and how it should be. See, some people, when they get baptized, where's my baptism family? I saw you out right here. Baptism family. I want to just have a conversation with you just real quick. I have this conversation with pretty much everybody. Don't be surprised if this week, after you've made the proclamation of, of, of living for Jesus, and you've gone publicly with it, don't be surprised if the wheels fall off in a couple areas this week, right? Why? Because you've stood up, you've gotten formation, you're wearing your battle gear, you're saying, listen, we're fighting for this cause, we're going out, and the enemy sees it. And so the enemy is a disruptor. He's going to try to take away all the good things. But let me hear, let, let me just speak clearly. Those attacks will pass. I promise you. You just keep your eyes on the Lord. See, see, people are shocked whenever they come to Jesus and they're saying, listen, my personal business now, I'm going to, I'm going to make, I'm going to do my business as unto God. And then they they pray in their business. They walk around their business. They do things properly and right. And then they're surprised when half of the people that they employed come on, end up quitting them. 
Why? They've made a declaration to follow God. And the truth is, is those half of, of your people that have lost, those are probably the people that needed to go anyways. And so when we do a faith pledge, you guys have been hearing about me talking about a gym for we're going to build a gym. People are asking right now we're working on the blueprints. We're going to get the cost so that I can bring it to you and say, guys, this is what it is. We need to invest. We need to, we need to make this happen. We need to take steps of faith. Well, guess what happens? People in those steps of faith pledges, they say, listen, I can give 50,000. I can give 10,000. I can give 5,000. I can give 100,000. And then all of the sudden, what happens is, is your car that is only five years old, the engine blows up in it. You make this declaration, I'm going to do this. And then all of a sudden, your HVAC goes out, which is another 10 grand. And so now you're in this space and place where you've made this commitment and now you're being challenged because things happen that you weren't expecting to happen and the enemy is banking on the idea that you just shrink back and say, man, I would have done it, but now I can't do it anymore. See, your faith is only faith when it's challenged and it makes it through the challenge. And let me tell you, if you haven't figured this out yet, your faith is going to get challenged at every single turn. I got great faith. And then all of a sudden you go through a hard time and you got no faith. All that does is show you that your faith really isn't what you may have thought it was. And you can continue, come on, to grow and walk in faith. Amen. See, when faith dips, we jump. <clears throat> the only time you're going to die on a roller coaster is when you jump. Israel was bold. I got to hurry up. They heard from God and they lost. They did exactly what God said to do and they lost. So what did they do? The Bible says in verse 22, they encouraged each other and they took their positions in the same place that they were yesterday. They took that place in that position again. After their biggest loss, they encouraged each other and went back out to battle. God said he would give us the victory. Hey, you, pick up your chin, and while you're at it, grab your sword too. Hey, you, grab your shield. Come on, we're going to go. How many of you know that God, you know what I mean? He fulfills his promises. We've been here before. Get your helmet on. Let's get in formation. They go out one more time. He's saying, listen, you can cry tears, but don't give up. You can be discouraged but don't give up because when God says he's going to do something, he's going to do it. Somebody needs to hear that. God has spoken some things over your life. And while you've shifted gears and gone off doing other things, God's going to fulfill what he said he's going to do. So how do I make it through my trouble? That's fine and dandy, but I'm in some real trouble right now. How do you make it through? You're going to make it through your trouble when you begin to dive into God's word and you begin to stand on his promises and you surround yourself with some stronger people than you are and some people that can encourage you during this time and you keep your eyes and your faith on the Lord. Hebrews 11.1, 1, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. See, our, our faith is founded on God's word being true. And I'm telling you, his word is true enough. It's substance enough, even more substance than the stage that I'm standing on. 
Even though it's a word, you can trust in it more. Like I will, I will, I will fall through this floor before God comes up short in his word. Period. That's the absolute, that's the absolute truth. He said it, we believe it, he fulfills it. Number three is this. When the tables turn, stand firm. Go ahead, Matt, you guys can come on up. Romans chapter 8 and 31 says this. What shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for me, if God is for us, who can be against us? Since he did not spare even his own son, Jesus, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? Can I tell you this? That the tables are going to turn once again in your favor. At times it may not seem like this, but I promise you that God will fulfill his promises in your life. Just real quick, how many of you here have ever been to a Brazilian steakhouse? You've ever been to, man, heaven on earth is what I like to call it. So listen, my very first time that I had been to a Brazilian steakhouse, I was kind of getting upset at the staff, the wait staff, because everybody else was getting served these slabs of meat. If you don't know what I'm talking about, like they take every kind of meat that you can think of around on a big skewer and they got a, a, a sharp knife and they come around, they just, if you want some, they'll just like, <laughs> they'll just cut you. And I'm a big guy, right? They would just give me like, I eat more meat at those places than the whole year. I can just tell you. But anyway, my first time I was a little upset because everybody else around me is getting served and they're just ignoring me like I got the plague. I'm like, what's the deal? Can they tell I'm like new? I'll tip. I'm a good tipper. One of the waitresses came over and she said, this is your first time, isn't it? I said, is it that obvious? She said, yeah. So the reason why you're not getting served is because this little thing on your table see the little red dot on the top what that means is i'm good go ahead and serve somebody else but and i'm telling you the very second that she picked that up and she flipped it over to where the green light was up i had 72 waitresses around me with every kind of meat that's ever been known to man i think i ate giraffe i don't know i ate everything but this is the deal, like that's why I call it heaven on earth because there's no waiting. If you have a desire, this is not a good place for a Christian, man. It teaches all the wrong principles. If you got a desire, you just put green up and it's coming, it's coming. You don't have to wait for nothing. But how many of you know that faith is not like that? Faith is exactly the opposite. God says, I'm gonna do it and then you better be patient because it might happen. Like there's been a few things that have happened immediately. Most experience that I've had with God is it's taken a long time or a lot longer. It's taken longer than what I wanted to wait. And so I just want to encourage you today. Israel, they went out, they lost 22,000 soldiers the first time. The second battle, okay, we're going to go out and we're going to win the Benjamites this time, right? The Benjamins, the tribe of Benjamin together this time. They lost 18,000 on their second trip out. 
You know what they did? They went back and they prayed again a third time. Somebody say a third time. God, are we getting this right or wrong? Because it's not panning out like we're expecting it to pan out. Somebody say 40,000 people in two days. So they go back to God and God says, listen, this day I will surely deliver them into your hands. And so they go out into the battle and the Bible says, you're expecting this huge, amazing thing to happen. You know what I mean? That they just knocked them all out. The Bible says that 5,000, the Israelites killed 5,000 men. Big difference between 40,000 lost and 5,000. But this is the deal. They didn't stop with the small victory. And this leads into my point number four. When God gives you the victory that you're expecting, guess what it's time for? Another step of faith. You're never going to end this life, at least you're not supposed to end this life without taking another step of faith. You're never gonna arrive. In fact, some of your biggest goals and dreams that you have even with the Lord, you're gonna get to that place only to, only to come to find out that that was just a stepping stool to something greater. I think it's interesting in our taking another step. The children of Israel, man, they were, they were fed every single morning bread from, from heaven called manna. And every single night they were given quail. They were given meat. Bread in the morning, meat at night. How many years did this hap happen? 40 years. Until the Bible says that they stepped into the promised land. And at the moment that they stepped into the promised land, no more bread, no more quail. How many of you realize that sometimes a miracle from God when it's experienced over a long period of time, it doesn't even seem like a miracle anymore? Once again, for those of you that have walked with God for a long time, this is something you should really be paying attention to. You've gotten used, maybe used to the miracles of God. Encourage yourself, stir yourself up in your most holy faith and see what it is that God has next for you because he's certainly not finished with you. For any of this to happen, right? You've got to be in Christ Jesus. And just real quick, maybe you're here, the world's in a crazy state in a crazy place, but if you were not going to be here tomorrow, I just wonder, is there anyone here that's questioning your salvation? See, because without faith in Jesus Christ, you will not be saved. His desire is, is that all of us would be saved and know him. But of course, that's not the case. But he's reaching out to maybe somebody here today or online. Just saying that he loved you so much that he died on a cross for you. And you can receive him as Lord and Savior. Like this day, you can believe in your heart. And you can confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord. And that's the beginning of the process with many more actions to follow. Is there anybody here that needs to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior this morning? Is there anybody here that you're just kind of questioning where you're at with God. Is there anybody here that wants to make that right? Because I would love to pray for you, a prayer of salvation. And you can leave here this morning knowing that you're in the Lord and the days ahead are gonna be greater. Doesn't mean easy right here, I see you. Is there anybody else? Everybody else is good? Where at? Anybody up top? 
All right, so listen, this is just a challenge for all. This is good news, right? But this is a challenge that we need to be working and sharing the gospel with a lot of people in our communities today. So I want to pray for you, pray with you. I just want you to make this prayer personal, okay? And I want to congratulate you on your decision to receive the Lord as your Savior today. I want you to know that he loves you very much. We were just talking in the baptismal that uh, he loves you so much that if you were the only person on the planet that he would have done what he did just for you. He has his eye upon you and he sees your decision. And I want to just prophesy over you that, that, um, that you're going to begin to see God in ways that you've never seen him before. He's going to begin to change things. And I just want you to know that while those things can be scary, if you'll just but trust him, your days ahead are going to be much greater than your days in your past. And you can still be you. Like you don't, you don't lose your identity. Your identity just becomes more clear. Problem is, is with sin, we lose who we were, who we were initially created to be. So today is a wonderful day. And I just want to encourage you in the Lord. Receive him, walk with him, trust him, and enjoy the process of life. Amen. So, Lord, right now we just ask in Jesus' name that you would forgive us of our sins. That you would come into my life and, and Lord, be my Savior, but also be my Lord. My life today, I declare, is not my own, but it belongs to you. God, I pray that you fill me with your Holy Spirit. And I pray, Lord, that you that you baptize me and I pray Lord that you speak to me and give me direction for my life and I pray Lord that you reveal your ministry that you have for me and God give me give me your spirit so I can do things that I can't do in my natural but God I just love you and I appreciate that my name is being written even right now in that Lamb's Book of Life I receive you today I ask these things in Jesus' name. Everybody in the house said, amen. Can we give the Lord a hand clap? You guys received the word of the Lord today? I want you to know, church, um, I think all of us, at least my belief is, is that all of us should have been challenged in one way or another. When we're challenged, right, when God reveals something to us, the best way to respond is just to give attention to it and start walking it out. For some of you, it's just getting into your Bible. Like you've kind of you've kind of sloughed off in that area. For some of you, you haven't served other people in a long time and done so in the name of the Lord. For others, you know, maybe it's starting a ministry. For others, maybe it's bringing God right into the center of your own family. Um, for others, it's trusting God in your finances and, and being stretched in the area of faith and finances. There's so many different ways God could speak to you today. My challenge is this. Don't just walk out these doors. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I might give that some thought. Like make a commitment that you're going to take a step of faith in that area that he's revealed to you. Amen. God bless you and thank you so much. That's it for today's teaching. Hey, here's an idea. Share today's message with a friend or family member. If you're listening from outside our fellowship, we'd love to meet you. Visit graceid.org and hit the contact form to get in touch. We'd also love for you to join us. You can even check us out on Facebook Live by searching Facebook for Grace Church Rupert ID. Learn more and plug in at graceid.org. Thanks for listening to this week's message from Grace Community Church. 